the Gung Fu Crew Podcast, bringing together practitioners of various styles and schools and their unique perspectives to explore the world of Chinese martial arts. In the first full episode of the Gung Fu Crew Podcast, I have the honor of speaking to none other than Will Wayne Williams. Will is the man behind the multi-channel platform Monkey Steals Peach, where he shows his travels to different parts of Asia, where he's meeting with uh, practitioners and teachers of various styles of Chinese martial arts. His videos and his various channels have deservedly uh, received quite a bit of attention. Since he's busy highlighting other teachers and styles, it may sometimes uh, be forgotten that he's also an accomplished practitioner of Tang Lang Chuan himself, praying mantis style Kung Fu. And this is what we will dive into in this first episode. At the end of our interview, we will also talk a little bit about uh, what's next for his channel and what he's doing there, but the main focus will be his martial arts practice. Now on to the episode, and I hope you have fun while we explore the lair of the praying mantis. Welcome to this episode of the Kung Fu Crew podcast. Um, welcome, Will. Thanks for being here. I'm, I'm really glad that uh, we managed to do this. Um, I I assume that a lot of people already know who you are, but maybe it would be still interesting for you to quickly introduce yourself and just uh, say a few things about you and your, your background and where you're coming from. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on the show. really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, so about myself, yeah, I'm a practitioner of Mantis Kung Fu, which I learned when I was living in China. Um, so I moved to China in 2007 when I was 18 years old. I stayed there for about 13 years. Uh, most of the time I was living in Shandong province, which is the birthplace and home of Mantis. So I was very lucky that I had the chance to learn it in its, I guess you could say its natural environment. Uh, and during that time, mm. I started a YouTube channel called Monkey Steals Peach. Uh, so on that channel, I've been traveling around different parts of China um, interviewing different masters of martial arts. Um, I've also expanded that more recently to covering like Southeast Asia and Taiwan and other places. So before we, uh, I think there are look, a couple of interesting things that we should also uh, dive, uh, de uh, dive deeper into. But before we do that, maybe let's talk a little bit about some some basic issues, maybe some basic definitions, because we're talking about martial arts, just to give people an idea of, of your own frame of reference like how would you define martial arts like what is a martial art for you um oh that's quite a, a deep question so what is martial arts i would say in the most broad sense it's something a martial art is something that encompasses combat physical training and in some in some situations, but not all, some form of mental or spiritual training. As I say, that's sort of a sometimes. But mm -hmm. <clears throat> at the very basic level, it's it's something that focuses on combat and um, physically enhancing the body. And like, what what terms do you do you usually use to describe what you do? I mean, uh, other than obviously praying mantis or tang lang chuan, like, do you use Kung Fu or Kung Fu or just or Wushu, which is very common in China, or just martial arts? Uh, this is actually a really interesting one. Yeah. Um, 
when I'm speaking to a general audience, for the sake of convenience, I tend to just use <clears throat> the anglicized word kung fu, which you know obviously is is kung fu mm. in, in Mandarin. That being said, actually in China, in mainland China at least, they don't tend to use that word very much. Um, they do more ta- more in in recent years, but traditionally it's not really used very much. Mm. They tend to use more sort of colloquial terms, um, quite often just using the word chuan, which is just, you know, boxing or, or fist. So I would say that depends who I'm talking to as, as to which term I would use because, yeah, like I say, Kung Fu to a more general audience because that's what they know. That being said, it, I, I don't think it's it's 100% accurate. So if I'm talking to people that are more involved in the community, I'll tend to just use the umbrella term Chinese martial arts or, you know, even mm. if I'm speaking Mandarin with people, I'll, I'll usually just use the word Chuan. That's quite interesting um, because I, I made the same ex- experience. Younger people in China, by now, they sometimes use the term Kung Fu just like Europeans or Americans or people in the other in the rest of the world would use the term Kung Fu. Um, but uh, the, the traditional meaning obviously is more like you have Kung Fu, you have the skills, right? If you and, and that is usually the context that people people use that term, especially in the martial arts circles. Yeah, I, I think it, it's come. I think it's been picked up mostly by non-martial artists in China because yeah. of movies. But I'm not too familiar with Cantonese culture, but if my understanding is correct, using the word gongfu or, or gongfu in Cantonese specifically for martial arts is more of a Cantonese colloquialism, which you know had mm. been popularized by Bruce Lee. Yeah, 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 it makes sense. Mm. So how would you then define and describe Tang Lang Chuan, like praying mantis, especially, I mean, obviously not, maybe not all of the different styles because there are a lot of different, uh, different uh, variations, but what would be like the typical characteristics or, or what, what is at the core of, of the, the style of praying mantis that you do? Okay. So firstly, um, generally speaking, there's two completely unrelated separate styles that both call themselves praying mantis. Um, there's Southern Mantis, which is practiced by the Hakka people in, in mm-hmm. Southern China, like Guangdong, Fujian, Hong Kong, that sort of area. And then there's Northern Praying Mantis, which is what I practice and which is what I learned in Shandong province. Now, it's it's purely coincidence that the two styles share the same name. They're, there's nothing in common with them. <clears throat> so what I'm saying only refers to Northern Mantis. Mm. Generally speaking, I guess if you were to define what Mantis, Northern Mantis is, um, it's a it's a, a Northern style of Kung Fu that's that comes from Shandong province in Northeastern China. Um, it's around about 300 years old. And it's really, I would say it's a kind of, what's the word, like a composite style that sort of absorbed and, and amalgamated a lot of local village styles mm-hmm. from the area. And the, obviously the defining feature of it being called mantis is using the hand in like a hook shape. Mm. People often misunderstand that and think that you're, you know, striking with the fingers, like using the fingers to strike pressure points and things like that. The hooking mm. is more about grabbing, controlling, 
whether that's grabbing, you know, grabbing at the wrist, grabbing further up the arm, you know, even grabbing the neck and the head in sort of like a clinch, uh, mm. even sometimes grabbing the face. If you know, having a hand on someone's face makes it much easier to get a takedown because they don't want to resist the movement when when your fingers are in, in their eyes and nose and everything. Yeah. So yeah, the most defining feature is the use of the hook to control the opponent. You know, much the way that like how a mantis will catch uh, a cicada or some other kind of prey, right? It's sort of yeah. It's it's claws like lash out really really fast. It it catches the thing and it pulls it in. And once it's got hold, it doesn't let go. It pulls it in tightly and keeps hold of it while it devours it. So yeah. I guess the main principle is that to grab hold of the opponent, don't let them go, control them to then um, finish them off. Mm. That, that sounds a lot like, because in, uh, I mean, in, in Chinese martial arts, you often have the separation into Chang Chuan, like, like long boxing and Duanda, like the short striking or, or short range styles. Is, is Tang Long Chuan, is, is Praying Mantis then more of a Duanda system, like a short range fighting system? It's, act, it's a combination of both. <clears throat> this is actually dis, uh, discussed quite a bit in the old manuscripts. There's quite a lot of old poems and things that mm -hmm. talk about the relationship between long fist and short strikes and mantis kind of takes aspects of both. So I can't remember the specific words of the poem off the top of my head, but the general gist of it is that long fist is kind of your frame. It's like the origin or the first like foundation of the art, but then short mm -hmm. strikes Duanda is um, something that's then like brought into that and where a lot of the techniques come. So yeah, you're, you're often alternating between that long and short, both as far as range and also as far as body mechanics. So you already gave us a bit of detail regarding also kind of what the goal of the training is. And I, I would like to zoom in, in a bit more. But uh, in order to do that, I think uh, there's there's one thing, you mentioned this in another video, and this could be a very interesting point. You mentioned that when you went to China as a very, very young guy, uh, you essentially also just went to the parks and, and started talking to different teachers and just trying to figure out what they do, right? Because you, you didn't go there with a specific plan in mind. Is, is that correct? Did I understand? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I just sort of turned up. I didn't really know what I was doing. In hindsight, probably wasted a lot of time, but you know, at the same time, that is that's learning, right? Yeah. And, and but then, then, then the question is like, how wh how did you end up learning and practicing what you do? Like, what what fascinated? I mean, there must have must have been something that drew you towards praying mantis then, and, and to your towards your teacher. What what was it? What what interested you in this particular style? Um, honestly, chance and circumstance. Um, as a teenager, I was a Wing Chun practitioner, so I kind of had it in my head that I was going to go to China and learn Wing Chun. I mm -hmm. vaguely knew that it's a Cantonese style, so I thought, okay, I probably should be in Guangdong province, but I, I couldn't find a, a job teaching English there, so I ended up in the north of China, not realizing that Kung Fu is, is purely geographical. I thought I'd still be able to find it all over. No one had okay. heard of it because the Yip Man movies had not come out at that time, so no one had even heard of Wing Chun. Um, and it was just by, I didn't even know that Shandong was the birthplace of Mantis. So it was only after I got there and people were telling me, oh, this is our local style. This is what it's all about. And I, you know, became curious about it. And I started to become fascinated with the way it moves. 
um, you know, this kind of very fast, explosive footwork, the combinations, you're striking high, striking low, change, always changing mm-hmm. direction. Still a lot of the trapping and controlling that I'd, you know, been used to from Wing Chun. But overall, I felt like it was a very comprehensive style that includes aspects of sort of every, you know, everything that um, you can find in Chinese martial arts. So then, and your specific teacher, was there something something about him, maybe, I don't know, his skill, his openness, something that said, oh, yeah, this is the guy that, that I want to learn from? Yeah, so after a couple of years in China, and I was struggling to find um, a good teacher, I'd, I'd met lots of different people in the park, and some were good, you know, but just none that really kind of, I felt that connection. So yeah. I went to one of these big martial art academies, you know, these kind of commercial like Shaolin ones. So I went to one of those for a year where it's like full-time training, you know, five days a week, eight hours a day. Um, and I was actually learning Mantis in this academy uh, from a younger teacher. It was very, very good, very good teacher. But um, eventually I kind of, as I got to know Mantis and I understood the foundations and things, I thought, okay, well, you know, who are these teachers in this academy? Who are they learning from? Like, I'm here in China. Mm. Why don't I go straight to the horse's mouth? So I started, you know, looking up who were the the sort of top tier of teachers, of Mantis teachers in Yantai. And I found that um, there's actually a, a list made by the Chinese Martial Arts Association called Top 10 Old Masters of Yantai. And about six or seven of them were Mantis One of them was Bagua, one of them was Tantwe. I can't remember the other styles, but yeah, most of them were Mantis. Mm. So um, with that list in mind, I managed to find out just through sort of searching the Chinese web where a lot of these teachers were teaching. And I went around, you know, I went to go visit them and, and chat to them. And you know, obviously all of them were very good, but mm. it just so happened that um, Zhou Zhendong, who became my teacher, was the one that, I think I connected with the most. I think just because he, just the way that right from the outset, the very first meeting with him, he kind of went straight to the point with the principles. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really heard the principles explained in such a concrete way before. Like I sort of knew there's these, you know, Mantis is like a principle-based art and there's all these different ideas, but it was always a bit kind of abstract, but he was like straight away, he's just like, this is it, this is it, this is it. And I'm like, oh, okay, now now these kind of abstract terms made sense. So hmm. that was how I came to start learning with him. What what did that look like? Like, can you elaborate a bit? I mean, the, the format, obviously, without video is a bit limit, limited, but can you elaborate on these principles and how he would actually teach these? I mean, you were not a complete beginner, but still, how, how would you go about teaching? Um, yeah, so the, fir- the first thing was um, he had... Like the very first lesson I remember, he he was very strict on um, all of the basic stances have a certain poem. Mm-hmm. And the poem, uh, you know, basically tells you how to stand, how to align the body, how to generate power. Um, and so, you know, he was very adamant that like, you know, he, he was actually reciting the poem as he stood in the stance. Sort of like, a, what's the word? Like a mnemonic. Mm-hmm. That's the word. 
um, you know, because in the olden days in China, a lot of people were illiterate, so they'd memorize these poems and, and use them as training guides. Yeah. So he, he was very, very into that. And just, it's hard to really sort of say because it's not really one specific thing. It's more just kind of overall apparent in his approach, you know, mm. that when he's teaching you a certain movement, he'll, he'll you know, say something from, from the old Trempe, Trempe's uh, like the old manuscripts. So, you know, he'll just, he'll just say some kind of principle, like as he's teaching a movement. And so you'll know, ah, oh, okay, so this principle or this idea that I've heard before is actually this movement mm. that we're doing right now. You know, everything sort of lines up. Yeah. I mean, you've taught martial arts as well. I mean, you've taught praying mantis, right? How would you go about teaching someone if somebody actually approached you and said, hey, I want to learn this like from, from, the, from, the, from, from scratch, essentially? How would you go about this? I think I teach quite differently to my teacher personally, because I, I, I know that for most Westerners, you, you have to take quite a different approach. I mean, my, you know, most of the people that find their way to my teacher are people that already, you know, are quite familiar with Chinese martial arts and mm -hmm. stuff. So I, I tweak my approach a bit more and I, I try to explain the hows and whys of things as you're doing them. And I put a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, explaining alignment and mechanics you know how to you know how to get the feeling of like pushing from from the knee and then pushing into the hip and getting that connection so that it's the hip that's driving power you know from from the knee and then into the shoulder and the elbow and just you know try to get people to really feel that hmm. and would you use like forms for that or or single movements like what's the traditional approach here is it is it a, a form focused style in general would you say or yeah I, i tend to teach the body mechanics in forms um i know there are styles like like xing yi chuan and xing liu he chuan and things that have specific exercises for developing body mechanics but the way that i've been taught and the way i teach is um is just through as you're doing whether it's doing basic line drills or forms um, I think it's also just worth clarifying when I say practicing forms, what exactly I mean, because that's something that I think can also be misconstrued. Mm. When I say practicing forms, I don't mean like, you know, here's 20 forms, do each form one time, just run through them all. What I mean by that is, say we have one form that we're focused on, and within that form, we break it down into individual combinations or movements or segments and then drill those and repeat those for example one of the common forms jaya which means the essentials the first um the first combination is like an overhand punch followed by a low punch followed by a back fist followed by a kick mm -hmm. i teach that as a as a drill as a combination and doing that in isolation and repeating it and using that to explain uh, and, and understand how the body's connected and how you connect the strikes via the twisting of the body. Mm -hmm. So if you're throwing the first strikes with the left hand and so the left hip comes forward, the right shoulder comes back and you're, you know, twist kind of corkscrewing the whole body in one direction with that strike. And then, when you throw the next strike, that's sort of already setting you up so that when you throw the next strike, the body twists the other way. Hmm. 
trying to get people to feel how to connect those two movements, you know, into one body movement. Does that include partner training as well, like like actually working on applications or the techniques behind it, or is it mostly solo training at that point? Um, with body mechanics, it yeah, it, it depends on which aspect. Some things I would say are probably more solo, more you know, better practice solo in the initial stages. Um, Some mechanics specifically you can only get by feeling a partner. I mean, obviously, mm. in the end, you have to do everything with, with a partner or with something. I mean, just, you know, hitting hitting the air is is, is only going to get you so far. But at least in the early stages to get the, the body to fully extend and things, I, I think that there's a, a period where you're better practicing solo. And then in these intermediate stages, you said, okay, so like you said, punching the air is, is nice but it's it's limited in terms of what you will achieve by that so what does that look like is there going to be like more partner practice sparring strength training conditioning what what would you say is typical for praying mantis yeah so once you've got the moves down um, and i'll also just backtrack a little bit here um so in my particular style the forms tend to have quite large exaggerated movements um, and that's not exactly how you apply the movements in when you're using them. Uh, the movements are kind of large and exaggerated to really drill the muscle memory of how to move, right? Because your, your body doesn't understand words. It understands, it learns by doing. Yeah. And so the best way to do that and to make sure that you get those tiny little details is to do, do the move in a, in a larger way. Now, When you come to practicing the applications with a partner, the idea is the body mechanics are supposed to be kind of drilled in and set by doing the form. And so when you do something with a partner, you don't really think about the body mechanics. So you don't try to do the movements perfectly. You just, they're just kind of in there innately and subconsciously, and you just do the application. You just think about the application mm. and not not necessarily about how to move the body yeah uh, does that make sense oh, yeah ab absolutely i mean i think especially this this aspect of exaggerating movements to train body mechanics i think it's very typical of a lot of chinese martial arts which sometimes leads to confusion because then people think oh this is kind of a weird application because you're so open like you're not protecting yeah. yourself but obviously <laughs> you have to make it tight in order for it to work in an actual confrontation yeah yeah how how would you how would you then like is there traditional sparring or are there because like in 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 wing chun you have also chi sao in in thais you have push hands like very specific kind of famous partner exercises are there specific partner exercises in in praying mantis is there commonly sparring or wrestling or any type of um, freestylish application yes yeah, so we begin with some fixed partner drills <clears throat> and um You know where one person's doing like, you know, say two, three move, two, three fixed moves, and the other partner's doing, you know, some other moves. And then, as you're doing these fixed partner drills, you build up the intensity and the speed to the point where, if you miss the beat on the drill, you actually get hit by the other person. So you're doing, you're doing the drill, actually trying to outdo each other. Mm -hmm. You know, at, at trying to to hit each other. 
And then from there, you take, you know, we've got, you know, X number of drills. Let's say we want to focus on three specific drills. And those specific drills will tend to have one move that's, uh, you know, that, that's the same. And so from there, you could go and mix the drills up. So I might start doing the first drill, bang, 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 and repeating it over and over again. And then all of a sudden, without telling, I just changed to the second drill. And then, you know, you've got to react to that. And then at the same time, you could change or you could change from doing it, doing the drill on the left side to the right side or change from being partner A to partner B. So you're constantly mixing it up. Um, so that's kind of the second stage. And then the third stage would be something a bit like sticky hands or push hands, which we call la feng shou. So la means to pull, feng means to seal and, and mm -hmm. show his hands. So it's basically pulling hands and sealing hands. And that's a kind of free flow, sticky hands type thing where you're basically um, pulling each other's uh, hand back and forth and then just freely following up with different strikes and different movements that they have to react to. And then you're resetting back to this pulling kind of thing. Okay. From there, that would then lead into sparring. Like you're beginning, you La Feng Shou, you're kind of almost sparring, but keeping a contact. And then you move to not having any contact and, yeah. you know, just having to enter and, and go from and, there. And, and, and it sounds to me like this drill is also connected to what you said in the beginning with this idea of like trapping as, as the core idea of, of praying mantis, trapping uh, the arms, the legs. Yeah. So, so a lot of the drills are focusing, focusing on that trapping, which would be, I suppose you could call it bridging, although bridging is a Southern Chinese term, but mm. the idea of how to establish and maintain the contact. So the first stage or level, I suppose, would be something a bit more like, like Sanda kind of kickboxing, like, you know, just pure striking from a distance because you haven't got a contact. No. So you've got to just, you know, throw out punches and find a way to get that contact. Once you get it, you start with the trapping and sticking to try to control the limbs, get through the limbs. And then you want to end with some kind of, usually some kind of takedown, mm. not, not always, but in a lot of cases you're ending on a takedown. So then you're getting a bit more into grappling, wrestling type, type stuff. So I think, so that's interesting for me because I always try to find the, the kind of the paradigms behind like how martial arts training also approaches physical confrontation. And from what I, I understand from you, the, the idea is not to actually stay in this kicking, striking range, but to actually move close, right? So you want to kind of squeeze into the, into the space between you and your opponent. And, uh, and then you're, you're leveraging, you said like there's a lot of striking, but I, um, I saw in some videos there's a lot, also a lot of like foot trapping and then kind of sweeps. Um, What would you say? What what are the the kind of the types of techniques favored by praying mantis in terms of striking, kicking, throwing, joint locking? Like what's what would be a typical in in your opinion? Um, <clears throat> so with longer range stuff, we have I suppose probably two main ways of power generation. One is more of like a whipping kind of power. Um, a little bit almost like Tongbei, which mm -hmm. is another popular style in the area. So there's definitely a crossover there. So you're sort of throwing the limbs out like a whip, you know, keeping them very relaxed and, you know, often like say striking with the back of the hand or, or, or you know, the knife part of the hand, things like that, uh, you know, slapping type motions. 
Um, and then the other kind of long range power that we often use is more like a kind of clubbing type thing. So what you do is you basically keep your fists clenched quite tightly, your forearms clenched as well. So your entire forearms basically just become clubs and you need to condition your, your forearms quite a lot as well so that, um, you know, they can, they can hit things hard and, and hit the other person hard and not be hurt um, mm. and hopefully hurt their limbs as well. And so then you're using these kind of clubbing, kind of chopping, cleaving kind of motions. So if you're familiar with like uh, broadsword or saber techniques, you know, dao techniques, you're kind of using the forearm quite a lot like the the, the broadsword using the, the blade of the arm, you know, mm. much like the blade of the sword. So those are the two kind of main long range. Well, obviously you have straight strikes as well, but I think we tend to favor like more round, round or, or downward kind of clubbing, chopping, cleaving kind of strikes. Um, kicks don't tend to be like big, powerful kicks. I mean, we do all those, you know, typical long fist kicks as the warm up. you know, you put your hands out and you kick straight, but yeah. some people do like to use those in application. I don't, I like to treat them more as just a warm up and a flexibility exercise, but you know, there, there are those, there are people that like those really big, powerful kicks. Generally though, I prefer like short, quick kicks that, that are hidden within strikes. So you're striking and kicking at the same time. So, you know, they don't know where to block. And then kicks generally are aimed, you know, scuffing the shin with the bottom of your foot, kicking the groin, um, kicking the ribs with the um, mm. ball of sort of a bit like like a teep in Muay Thai um, tend to be that those sort of kicks obviously for like friendly sparring you don't want to be you know kicking people in the groin and stuff so I mean you, you can you can adapt them and just you know use them as more like checks to kick the thigh and things like you know like you do in, in Muay Thai and, and stuff like that yeah but the original intention is to kick the groin and then short range like what's uh, once you once you bridge the gap You got short range punches, like uh, punching into the body, um, you know, sort of body hooks, body, you know, thrusting straight punches, uppercuts, um, <clears throat> you know, downward overhead punches, mm. elbows, uh, back of the wrist strikes, you know, with the, the naturally hard part of the back of the wrist. Mm. Yeah, like I say, elbows, um, shoulders, knees. In the head as you're getting closer um, mm. i don't like hitting with the head but it's it is a mantis tool <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, might give, even when it works it might give you a concussion i mean it's not really <laughs> <laughs> and then going in even closer you're getting into the you know kind of trying to end as i say with a, a takedown so mm. like a a sweep or a not like a full hip throw over but um more sort of getting the you know throwing them more taking them down using your hip to take them down but more sort of in a, at a like a horizontal level yeah. over the top it's a little bit hard to explain so not, like no no radial throws right where you have an axis and you like turn them around that axis but more like i don't know like in, in taiji chuan I, i would usually refer to these as knockdowns Because you kind of you don't really throw them in the sense of they're really lifting that much off the ground, but it's more like you really kind of, I don't know, knock them down to the ground, or is it? Yeah, uh, yeah, basically. I mean, 
technique-wise, most northern Chinese martial arts have the same tools. It's just how you put them together. So yeah. I think the takedowns you have in Taiji, we have in pretty much similar-ish in, in Mantis. Um, I think we do have like two or three more kind of what you'd think of as like, you know, real judo throws, but they're rarer. Mm. But the sweeping and the, as you call them, knockdowns, I think are more common. Yeah, same in, in, in our Taiji tradition. But you didn't mention conditioning, and I thought that was quite interesting to to look at that as well. Like, how do you, I mean, conditioning can mean different things, but like hardening the body, but also strength training. How How do you... How do you do that? Like, what are typical approaches in, in praying mantis for that? Um, so hardening the body from day one. I mean, one of the very first partner drills, bef even before you're doing all the trapping and different things that I was talking about, is just smashing your arms with a partner. Just clench your fists and just smash your forearms together, you know, to obviously, you know, hard harden the forearms, increase the density of the bone and all that mm. sort of stuff. I'm not like a biologists uh, i can't really give like the you know the whole um reasoning why we do it but how it changes the body but um yeah so we're hardening the forearms and then also um the body as well so when we're holding our stances a teacher or somebody else would come around and they would start to um hit you in the like to kind of slap you in the ribs and in the belly and the back and the thighs with increasing power. So for, for a new person, you know, they'll just sort of slap kind of gently like this. But once you've been training for a while, they'll really whack you. I mean, you've, you've seen like um, in Okinawa, the karate guys with the yeah. Sanjin, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it was, it was just, that was exactly the thought I had, like Goju Ryu, Uechiru, where they have this a lot. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, exactly the same. We do that quite a lot. And then there is a specific Qigong exercise called Lo Hangong that, um, that kind of takes it to the next level. So you have, you wear, you wear like a kind of special belt or a sash. So you kind of like basically suck your belly in and then you, you tie it around tightly so that then when you breathe out you know and you're doing the abdominal breathing you breathe out there's like a resistance so it, it hardens all the inner abdominal muscles mm. just gives you that extra resistance for that um you know for the breathing training and then strength training we do all the sort of usual chinese stuff stone lock i mean i don't have a stone lock here i just use a kettlebell mm. nowadays but um sort of the typical chinese functional full body strength things yeah like kettlebell stuff stuff with dumbbells doing basic movements holding small weights like we used to hold bricks mm -hmm. one of the advantages of doing it with with bricks in your hand is because a brick's such an awkward shape to grip it it um put you know it it, it strengthens the hand as well because it, it yeah. puts quite a lot on the hand i know some people use like those jars don't they and they, they fill the jar with water yeah. and sand a brick honestly does the same kind of thing mm. um, so yeah there's quite a lot of emphasis on strength training but it's all about um, whole body strength and functional strength yeah and also and, and what... big, I, I sorry i forgot to mention one of the most important ones is the big heavy spear right yeah that's very typical for a lot of especially in northern china but also yeah. this idea that That's what I, what I got from you, that even when you work with a kettlebell, you sometimes kind of uh, 
um, you, you you take this this modern training tool or relatively modern, but then you actually approach it more in the sense that that uh, then Chinese people would traditionally train it, right? You kind of adapt it to your own purposes. Um, actually, a lot of the stone lock stuff, I don't think is that different. I mean, I've not formally studied kettlebell um, techniques, but at mm. least from what I've seen, it looks kind of similar stuff. So. I just use the kettlebell just because you can't really get a stone lock in Australia. So I just use a kettlebell as a substitute. Yeah. No, it's just a, a reminder. I know from other people that they also, they, they get tools, but they, they don't always use them in the, in the way that maybe modern training would use them, mm -hmm. which is, which is fine. I mean, like I said, the principles are often very similar, but it's more adapting them to the way, like to your body mechanics, to the body mechanics yeah. that you want to train in your, in your style but at the same time i think functional strength and full body workouts are becoming much more fashionable now anyway so yeah i know a lot of kung fu people have this kind of stigma that like oh if you go to the gym you're just working your muscles in isolation you're just doing this one exercise for your bicep this one for your chest but more and more people that i talk to that, that are really into strength training are doing full body you know thing trying to recruit as many muscle groups as they can yeah I mean, this also leads into a, 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 not a really a separate topic, but some something that is closely connected to is to health. Like, how how would you, as a practitioner of, of praying mantis, how would you define health, and how do you, how does it feature in in your training? Like, is it is it something that you actively try to boost and go for? Is it more of a byproduct? Are some of the because conditioning exercises, I guess, can also be unhealthy when they're performed not correctly? How how does this feature into your training? So I suppose one of the things that's really made Chinese martial arts survive into the modern day is the health benefits of it. Because, you know, as as China and other places in Asia where, where the martial arts are practiced has become more peaceful, people have sort of felt much less a need to focus on combat, you know, on, on preparing themselves for violence. So they've embraced the health aspects of it which I suppose were originally a byproduct, but have more become the focus of it over time. And I think one of the big things is that holistic way of using the body, you know, that you're learning to move your body as a cohesive whole is obviously very beneficial for, you know, all aspects of, of life. It's just, you just move more efficiently. Yeah. I don't know if this is really answering your question or am I kind of going off on a beeline a bit here? No, I think I think it does. It's uh, I just find it interesting that different traditions do have like some some for example have very specific exercises that they're also called qigong, which are meant for health. And then you have the regular training, and for some it's more like ah, it's all the same thing. Or like with mm. with internal martial arts, the the the, uh, the the idea of health or like not just protecting but also boosting health is at the forefront uh, of of a lot of practitioners' thoughts. And I find it quite interesting how different different styles and traditions actually approach this. Ah, okay, okay, yeah, I'm I'm with you now. So we, uh, Mantis does have some more sort of, I guess you could call it Nadan. You know what Nadan is, like internal alchemy kind of stuff. Yeah. I've never learned it because it's a whole different rabbit hole if you go down there. That you know you need to be 
training full time your entire life to be able to focus on learning the the forms and the strength stuff and the applications mm. and the sparring and doing all of this you know these specific um health cultivation things so i haven't learned them but they are traditionally something that mantis people would do um so there's a lot of these meditational exercises kind of vis- you know visualization exercises um a lot of it is a lot of it involves like doing certain kind of breathing combined with like massaging certain pressure points on the body mm-hmm. a certain number of times in a certain order i mean it's very sort of like alchemy it's almost like a like a very specific recipe i suppose is a way to describe it mm-hmm. um, Cause it's like, you know, you have to press this point three times and then this point and then this point, and then you have to, you know, rub your belly 36 times clockwise and bite your teeth and 36 times and all, all this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, there is this aspect to it, but I would say it's almost a whole art within itself and it's not something that I've really gone into. But it also means that you can actually develop Kung Fu skill in praying mantis without including many of these nadan exercises right because you said it's more like an not i mean not a separate tradition but like a sub sub segment of of praying mantis i would actually even say it, it is kind of a separate tradition because one of the first written records of mantis um that's that's by a verifiable person was Uh, written by a guy called Liang Shui Xiang in sort of around 1840, 1850 ish. And he wrote, he basically, in his manuscripts, he separated like three different arts. And it was like, these are the arts that I practice. One is mantis boxing, one is uh, six harmony spear and staff, and one is Luo Han Gong. So to him, these were like three systems. He's like the three systems that I have. Um, so the mantis boxing or mantis fist is is the hand-to-hand combat, which was mm-hmm. um, in his time, it was just three forms. Um, and then uh, something called secret hands, which was just like a list of, of um, you know, single movements. And then the six harmony staff and spear was like an entire system in itself of, of, of spear and staff methods. And then the Lohan Gong was um, both like the the kind of iron body practice as well as um, these other like, you know, Nadan type things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's only sort of more of a recent thing that all of, you know, that the weapons and the Qigong and everything have also been called part of the Mantis system, mm. that people have taken everything that he was doing and made it into one thing. Yeah. Does this maybe also speak to the eclectic nature that you mentioned, like this idea of taking different things and over time maybe they become more integrated but originally they just took it from different sources yeah i think so um and i think that's true with all chinese martial arts really like the more that i get into this the sort of deeper i go with with learning about different styles and how they've developed and stuff it seems like most sort of what we would call styles are really sort of very late 19th century more early 20th century where they've sort of become like a concrete whole like this is you know mantis this is bagua this is tongbeichuan i think when we go further back in history it tends to be more people learn i think you could almost even say sort of like how you have mma now right like mm. you know you 
you pick your striking art, you pick your grappling art, you pick your ground art. Um, I think people, they used to learn different things and they travel around and learn, you know, find teachers who are really good at one particular thing. Like, oh, there's this guy up in, you know, whatever village and he's uh, really good with the spear. So I want to go and learn spear from him. And then this guy, mm. well, he does iron palm. He's famous for his iron palm, so I want to go and learn iron palm from him. So I think people more sort of made their own systems of, of taking different things from different places. I don't think it was quite as as fixed as it is now. Mm, that makes sense because in some styles you can still, I, I, for example, the the Xiaojia guys in Chen style, they also often practice Wang Bao spear. So they actually have mm. a different name for the for the spear tradition, yeah. which in many other like in other Gentile variations. I guess it might also have been a source of, of you know, knowledge for their spear tradition as well, but it's not really a separate tradition anymore. It was already kind of uh, sucked into mm. the, the, the core. And uh, yeah, that makes sense. And don't you feel quite often things like spear forms and staff forms and, and broadsword forms and things tend to be the same no matter what style you do? Yeah, uh, that's something that, that uh, we, we have here as well, yeah. Does this also go, because in, right in the beginning when you defined martial arts, you also said that there should be also like a spiritual or mental training. Does this, in, in, in the praying mantis system, is this also part of this Neidan practice? Or does the, like the core curriculum also in include like introspection and meditational aspects or however you want to frame it? I think that goes more into the Neidan stuff. Yeah, I think that's more connected to sort of um folk taoism folk buddhism kind of a mishmash of of you know religious beliefs um i don't think it it really has so much to do with the actual mantis combat techniques per se other than the occasional reference in the names of certain moves, but I think that's more just a cultural thing of just, mm. what, you know, words that people hear and are familiar with. So when I understand you correctly, uh, it's also this visualization. I mean, you did mention uh, in the beginning with this kind of stretching the frame, um, I, I would assume that there is some element of introspection because you want to learn the mechanics and not just the, the external movements. But from, if I understand you correctly, then most of the, What, what most people would usually associate with qigong or neigong is actually part of the separate thing. Yeah, yeah. I think the mental aspect of the movement is more in the kind of, like, the idea of how you're using the will. Mm -hmm. I think this is something from, from a taiji or xingyi perspective, like, you'd be able to understand quite well. But it's it's more about that, having conviction in the movement you're doing right mm. so you know if you're punching someone but you're not really believing in your punch it's never going to be as good mm. i think in, in another context you also mentioned this that, that uh, especially northern chinese martial arts focus a lot on sure on these which is often translated as positions which is not really yeah. true because it's like a sequence with a certain idea behind it, right? Like sometimes it's also translated as picture, which also doesn't really describe it, but. Yeah, um, that's one thing that I think with, with all Northern styles is that each movement is one entire whole and it has its own idea behind it. 
you know, much like a Chinese character. If you change one aspect of a character, you change one radical, it becomes a completely different character. Mm. So let's say we were stepping forward with our right foot and punching with our right hand, that would be one entire idea. Whereas if we were stepping forward with the right foot and punching with the left hand, although it seems like we've only changed one thing, the entire idea of what we're doing is now different. Hmm. Um, and the mechanics of it, the way you're relating to the opponent, the situation, what can happen next, everything is completely different just because you've thrown a different hand with that same foot. So it becomes a completely different idea and concept. Which I, I find very fascinating because it's actually done in a similar way, for example, in boxing. Like the jab mm. is actually different from a cross. It's not just, oh, you know, I use the other hand. It's actually, yeah. it's a very different uh, tactical idea. It's, it's, it's ex executed differently. It's, yeah, totally makes sense. Maybe to, to kind of get this towards the finishing line. So what... Um, What are you hoping for in terms of how, how maybe Chinese martial arts in general, but also specifically praying mantis, kung fu, and, and, and similar like the, the, the things that you're interested in? How, how should these move forward? Like, What are you hoping for? This is a difficult one because a lot of the conversation these days is around combat effectiveness and, mm -hmm. you know, MMA being such a, a popular thing now. And I mean, like here in Sydney, every corner you can find Muay Thai, BJJ, it's absolutely everywhere. Um, and so there's a lot of conversation around, well, what's the relevance of traditional martial arts? Can they stand up to modern martial arts? And so I don't really have a concrete answer for that because you know, should we try to emulate modern martial arts? Because then, you know, you're only ever going to become a cheap version of something if you try to imitate it. So mm. if we try to stand up to, to MMA and say, well, we can do all this too, then we just become like a copy of them. The question is, is, is it worth doing that? But at the same time, we do have to be honest with ourselves and, and say, oh, you know, if we're, if we're calling ourselves a martial art and we're You know, at the end of the day, every move that we do is a, a punch, a kick, a throw. It's supposed to be a movement for fighting, right? So we do have to take that into consideration. Yeah. I don't know. I, I suppose we have to, you know, as, as Chinese martial artists, we have to ask ourselves, what do we want from our art? You know, if, if we want to be good at fighting, then we have to fight. If we want to focus on the health stuff, then focus on that. Um, I think that's the main thing I, I would say. Yeah, I don't know. Am I, I, sound, I think I'm just kind of rambling a bit too much now. No, but I like the I like the idea of not, like I said, not just imitating, but finding the core. Maybe I think I mean for for in my opinion, for people who are really into authentic Chinese martial arts, you can see that there is like you do develop skills that are highly relevant and helpful in a, in a physical confrontation, right? They are actually, they, the, the stuff works, whether it works in a combat sports format or something like that, that might, might be a different question. Um, but I think then the question is also how to, you know, maybe transport this to the outside, how make it visible. And I guess you, with your, with your Monkey Steals uh, Peach uh, brand, essentially, it's because it's not just one channel, right? It's multi-channel. You, you, you even have a tool at your disposal to maybe show these 
more authentic traditions and, and what it's really like. Yeah, I, I think what I want to do, what I try to do is just show it as is because so few people, like there's so much hype over martial arts, you know, with the internet, you know, it's so easy to, to you know, try to create, try to live up to people's fantasies about what they think martial arts should be and then try to cash in on that. So I try and show it warts and all, you know, I try to show the good, the bad and the ugly. Like I'm not trying to jazz it up and say, look, this is the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. I'm not trying to like bad mouth it and say it's useless and irrelevant. I'm just saying this is, this is what the Chinese martial arts are and hopefully try to cover like the human aspect of, of just showing the people who practice it and hopefully trying to convey some of their, passion for it you know and show them as the human and, and what it means for them as a practitioner and you know show how they've dedicated their life to something because i think you know as well we always try to find a reason for something but can't we just enjoy it just for what it is can't we just actually enjoy them the, the, the art as the art i mean it has so many benefits right i mean it can yeah. have so many different things and uh And I mean, you've you've already done quite a bit. You've been to, I, I don't know if I remember all of it, but I mean, you've been to Henan, you've been to Fujian province, you've been to Taiwan, you've been to Malaysia. Um, but you also mentioned that you're going to go uh, next where? What's what's your next plan for the... Yeah, so this is actually the first you'll be hearing it, um, but I'm planning to go to Hong Kong in the uh, latter part of September. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, um, you know, with everything that's been going on in mainland China, it's, you know, it's, it's not really been feasible to go back there and, and do the video, kind of videos that I've been doing in the past. So mm. I've been looking more at the, I've kind of changed my focus to more how the martial arts are preserved outside of mainland China, like with, within the Chinese diaspora elsewhere in Asia. Obviously, Hong Kong is not quite Southeast Asia, but yeah. So what I want to cover is looking at Southern arts, uh, Cantonese arts, such as you know, Hungar, Choi Le Fuk, things like that, as well as some of the Hakka arts. So like uh, Southern Mansis, which I mentioned briefly at the beginning and um, Bak Mei, some of these other other styles that I've never um, featured on my channel before. And I'm interested in looking at how the traditional arts have been preserved in Hong Kong, hmm. obviously with, without having the cultural revolution and all the, the, the stuff that um, communist China has gone through. Um, and also, you know, how it, how it's, how it's changing and how popular are the arts still now, how relevant are they still to modern Hong Kong society? Because mm -hmm. kind of feel like there was a bit of a golden era for Chinese martial arts in Hong Kong, sort of in the, The era of Hong Kong movies, like the 70s, 80s, 90s. So I'm curious, sort of, where are they today, and how are they, how are they holding up against all the changes that that Hong Kong's um, undergoing? And you have the opportunity to go full circle and finally practice some Wing Chun, right? Because in, yeah. <laughs> in, in Shandong you didn't find it, but in Hong Kong I think you definitely will. The Wing Chun in Hong Kong, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, so far, I, I really liked uh, the, the different episodes because, like you said, it's it's usually a very authentic depiction, and you can see the the, the far ranging 
I mean, you, you can see a connection between all of these different traditions, obviously, but also there's a widespread of, of ideas of how to train, how to fight, how to preserve health and all that stuff, which is also I mean, the, the basic idea behind this podcast. I want to I don't want to focus on just one thing. Like I said, hey, this is this is what might work in an MMA context, but I want to focus on on the, 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 all these different you know, different different cultural um, kind of artifacts that, that these martial arts yeah. actually are. Thank you very much for for the insights into praying mantis and uh, beyond. Uh, I, I really enjoy talking to you. And um, you're yeah. welcome. Thank you for taking the time to to talk to me and <laughs> let me ramble. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's, that's usually, again, you know, authentic, right? You want to show it as it is and not, you know, don't, don't want to put on like a rehearsed show or something. And <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And yeah, maybe maybe we'll uh, have another opportunity to talk in the in the second season, um, maybe go deeper on some of these topics. And um, I think that could be quite enjoyable as well. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you had a great time. The next episode will air next month. And until then, feel free to check out our Instagram account where we also feature some of the people we talk to, other practitioners and teachers of Chinese martial arts and anything else that might be interesting in the world of Kung Fu. Thanks, take care and hope to meet again.